Let's talk about money today on Coach's Corner. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today on Coach's Corner. I'm your host, Robert Imbrielli. So cool that we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to bring in a guest that is uh, probably one of my favorites of all time and a heavy hitter, if you want to call him that. Somebody with a tremendous amount of experience. And we're going to talk about that issue, that issue that uh, I think if I look at the most challenging issues for people, Money's right up there, but I think relationships might be a little bit higher. One neck and neck, one and two, two and one, right? And we're going to talk about that today, the money mindset. What is uh, the thing that uh, stalls a lot of people, and especially during the times we're going through right now? Not as easy as it has been in the past, uh, but you can still thrive, and that's what this podcast is about, helping you thrive in challenging times. So welcome. So happy to have you here. My guest today is Kellen Fluckiger. I hope I, I pronounced that name right. Uh, he's a longtime coach. He's been doing this for a long time, but probably even longer than I have. I started in 95, but he probably started way before then, uh, not necessarily coaching coaching, but certainly working with uh, top-level people. He's a former top-level executive, both in the U.S. and Canada. Get this. He's authored 16 books, and not only that, he's got six more coming. Can you imagine that? 16 books, six more coming. Um, he works with authors to help them get their books written and published. And uh, also the next step would be marketed, right? Does a really good job with that. Does, uh, I think he has a course going on right now. He'll tell us a little bit about that today. He also works with coaches. And what I really love about Kellen, what he does with the coaches, does something uh, brilliant. He helps them sign up new clients without the hard sell. And a lot of coaches are like scared of selling. Well, how do we took that out of the equation? And you get clients coming for, he doesn't chase clients. He doesn't look for clients. Clients find him. He has conversations with them and they decide, hey, this is the right guy. Uh, I want to work with him. Uh, he is the, ult- uh, the host of the Ultimate Your Ultimate Life podcast. And if you don't know this podcast, you should get it. It's like getting a PhD in personal development. I tell you, it's really, really good. He's on episode 611, daily podcast, short quite uh, really quick you get in there get the information you need get the get the little inspiration little nuggets you need for the day and get your day underway so without further ado i've been chatting here for a while kellen welcome to the program robert thank you and the first thing i want to do as part of the broadcast is acknowledge and be grateful to you you know running a podcast broadcast is a lot a labor of love Uh, there's a lot of work there's a lot of intention, a lot of focus, and maybe it generates some business and, and maybe it does a little or maybe a lot, but the real thing to do it well and be a master at all of the things involved takes a lot of love. So I think of them as a labor of love and I wanna acknowledge and be grateful to you for the good that you're adding to the world. Thank you, Kellen, I appreciate that. Yes, it is indeed a labor of love, especially the setup that I've got here. It's just a passion for me and uh, it's just so so great to have you here. I was really looking forward to doing this. I know uh, Kellen and I are on a mastermind, a weekly mastermind. And I've, I've gotten to know him over the past few months and been impressed. He does little presentations for us and every one of them, I end up with two, three pages of notes. So he's got a lot to share. And uh, today, Kellen, money, that's the topic, isn't it? It is. And the weird thing about money is, what how we think about it and that controls how much we get how much we have how much we don't have we've turned it into a religion a positive one a negative one we've turned it into an evil genie an elusive slippery goal 
and we've done all kinds of stuff with it that it really isn't. And consequently, we've made it really hard on ourselves to use the liquid or the lubricant of life, which is the exchange medium we call money. That's a great way to put it, call it the exchange medium, because I think a lot of people get messed up and they, they have uh, both positive and negative associations with money, and a lot of people are scared of it, honestly. They just don't want it because all the challenges that it represents in their lives. Well, I've had times in my life where I had a lot and more than I needed or wanted and more than I knew how to spend and did some really stupid things with it, and I was caught up easily in the religion of money. And what I mean by that is the religion of money is like you have a belief and it's um, strengthened by a lot of society stuff that you're better if you have more, you're worse if you have less, that it's hard to get and that uh, you have to have certain things, you know, fall into place for you to get some and, you know, all of that stuff that's really just stories. And if you think about money, money isn't really anything. It's an agreement. We used to live in tents, herd sheep and trade beans and buttons. And now we live in houses and herd electrons. And we don't even have, I mean, it's all an, an agreement that we trade in electrons and, you know, electro hyperspace or something. And it's all this thing we call money. And all it really is is a medium of exchange since we can't all trade our corn and beans on the corner anymore. Very true. Not everyone needs corn. Not everyone needs beans. And I think you, your, your analogy is really accurate, especially today with crypto coming up and being a bigger and bigger part of everything that we're, we're doing. It's like, it, it, what is crypto? You know, I, our friend Mitch Axelrod was asking that question. What is it? It's like, what do you mean, Mitch? What is crypto? What is it? Can you touch it? Can you feel it? electrons it's just bits numbers it's all it is it's an agreement yeah so we we have an agreement sometimes it's formalized by governments sometimes it's just in our minds but it think about back and you know when the blacksmith got paid in harvested you know fruits and vegetables and so i need that and you need some horseshoes and so i heat up a fire do some stuff for you and you give me some things back and forth when that became difficult because um, <clears throat> the, either the producer consumer were separated by distance or there was more than what was needed. Then we had to invent some kind of exchange medium. My wife, Joy, is a her dad was an archaeologist and he has a lot of uh, had a lot. He's passed on now, but he had a lot of uh, tokens and things from the Hudson's Bay Company, which is the oldest company incorporated company in the world. In the 1600s and, and old tokens and, you know, things that made out of different stuff, metal, glass, whatever that they used for money, for trading tokens in those days that were used at the trading posts and between. And now she sells these very same things, not as monetary tokens, but as artifacts from the past. So then, now they have archaeological value, which bears no relationship to their actual previous monetary value. And so that's just an illustration of it. It's just a thing we use and I know this is like an esoteric point, but not really, because then we've turned this thing into a, a medium of valuing people and worthiness instead of just as a trade mechanism between two people that have different things that want to exchange them. So true. Uh, I was just thinking about that. It's like when we 
look at self-esteem, that one issue that so many of us deal with, right? We always value ourselves based on what our bank balance is. And the funniest part about that whole thing is nobody knows what my bank balance is. Nobody. Unless I tell them. Bank may know. My accountant may know. Nobody else does. But yet my whole self-esteem, my whole self-image is based on uh, that number. You know, either it's a good number, it's a bad number, it's somewhere in between. And I think that's a huge mistake we make. Well, not only that, but the very fact that we would call it a good number and a bad number is just part of that whole mythology. I mean, we all know intuitively that when we die and go to the pearly gates or whatever that is, nobody's going to ask about your bank balance. Like nobody's going to ask. Nobody's going to care. And you don't get in a different line at the gate based on what your how much what car you drove, but the size of your house, your cash. So we have a we have this thing and and the reason this is important isn't just to make the the point that it's we've made it into a religion and a token of worship, but it is to say that because we have done that, we've created all kinds of hardship, suffering, internal image issues. I suck because I don't have this. I'm not okay because of that. Oh, I'm bad because somebody didn't want my corn on the corner. Therefore, I must be bad. You know, when we're trying to sell products online, nobody buys them. Therefore, something's wrong with me instead of the truth, which is nobody wants this corn today. Okay, that's the fact. Nobody wants this corn today. And then we've turned that into a self uh, flagellation exercise. And therefore, we don't try again. And therefore, tomorrow, maybe if I go stand on the corner with a weird, you know, dunce hat on or a jester crown, you know, then people will want my corn. And, and we do all these weird things that both denigrate our self-image, that um, make us less productive, and, and all of the rest that have nothing to do with what money was actually meant to do and is meant to do. And if we get over that, and here's the final real point, it's probably the most important thing to talk about, is there's infinite amount of money, and you can have all you want. That's the point. There's an infinite amount of money and you can have all you want. And so immediately someone's going to say, A, either I'm full of crap or B, okay, how do I do that? Where's the easy button? Sorry, guys, no easy button, right? Well, I don't know. Think about the old blacksmith days. There was no easy button for the blacksmith no. to heat the forge and make the horseshoes yeah. or to grow the corn or deal with the frost that came early and killed the oranges or whatever. So what would make us think just because we've changed the representation of it from corn and this and that to money and then to electrons, that somehow there would be a magic button for the accumulation of those equivalences. Okay, so let's go back a little bit in time and let's find out, uh, let's talk a little bit about where this all comes from, because as adults, we should know better, right? Maybe we should know better about money, and yet we have all these associations to it, these beliefs about what it is, what it isn't, and they just trip us up all the time. Well, they do, and we don't, and, and, and unaware. So everybody's got a money story, right? And money story is the word that I use, lots of people use it, that describe what is your relationship to money. So when I ask or you ask someone, let's just play the game. Robert, if I ask you, what is money to you? Like, what is money? What would you say? I've got 100 reasons. I got 100 things I could say. It's, it's you know, I always look at it and I say money is, uh, you know, 
are, are, like you said, it's a transaction medium. It's 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 a it's a demonstration of value. Uh, for me, money is opportunity. It gives me the chance to do things I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Uh, and on, on the flip side of that, money is also stressful. Money is also uh, scarce. Money is also hard to come by. You know that kind of thing. So you've got all these associations to it. I do that same exercise with my clients and. The, the things that come up are it's like, no wonder you're challenged with money. So let's, I want this to be really valuable for the coaches that are watching your coaches corner for two reasons. One, most clients that you're going to help have problems with money. They have an unhealthy story around it about how to get it, about what it means, about, you know, money is the root of all evil kind of nonsense, or people worship it, or I'm not good enough to have it. They have a a money story. And you're going to need to help them in a real and meaningful way with that story, or you're not going to get past it. The second thing we can do here is you as a coach probably have a money story. And that goes to the thing that Robert said that I do. Most coaches, when they go to close clients, that money story gets in the way in that conversation. And so when you get to the part about closing the deal, if you want to work with me, what would the terms and conditions be? What would that look like? There's an energetic collapse. You know, it gets awkward. The conversation gets squirmy. You feel uh, somehow weird. There's a weirdness that is actual, literal, and powerful that permeates the conversation as soon as the topic of money comes up. So for coaches, especially, there are two issues here. One is how do you help your clients? And two, you can't help them very well if your money story sucks. How true, how true. Uh, You know, and that brings up the other point, the the imposter syndrome, right? It's like, how can I coach people about money if I'm not wealthy? I I hear that a lot from coaches. Like, they want to help them with their money issues, but they haven't solved my own yet. So how do I do that? There's a big difference, and thank you for saying it exactly the way you did. There's a big difference between I can't coach them and because I'm not wealthy, and I can't coach them because I haven't solved my money problem. What that does is it creates an equivalent between wealthy and solving your money problem, and that's not a true equivalence. Whether or not you choose to do the things to create a big pile of cash is separate than having a healthy money story. And I don't think I would have known that the way that I do, except I came through a time in my life where I had way more money than I knew what to do with. I had all kinds of personal issues. I struggled through addictions and depression for 35 years. And I've written about that in one of the books that Robert referred to called Tightrope of Depression. My journey from darkness, despair, and death to light, love, and life. And I knew how to make money so I could accumulate that. I had something one of my neighbors called, I didn't have it, but he had garage envy. He said every time he walked by my garage, I had like six cars and a Hummer and two motorcycles and a hot rod. And I souped up 800-something horsepower, whatever, who cares? And yet inside, I was I was very, very sad, miserable, using drugs, doing all kinds of bad things that that doesn't don't even make sense. Like if you have all this money, how are you not happy? And that's why I said the equivalence between I've solved my money story and I have a lot, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, is not an equivalence because they're not the same. And you can do one without the other. You can let solving your money story create wealth for you if you want to. But if you do that, it is with a completely different energy and that difference in your attitude your energy your 
whatever you put out into the world is the reason it becomes so easy to create. It's a little bit uh, like I would uh, advise people. So, you know, you do you, you look at a doctor, a doctor can help you cure cancer. It doesn't have to have cancer to be able to help you. Right. Well, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. So I, I, I love that. You, so as a coach, you, need, you do need to work on your money story and you need to get rid of it. You need to solve it. You need to get healthy with it. You need to be comfortable with it. You need to love money, not because it means you're something, but because it's your opportunity. Money is a facilitator. It lets you do some things. If you don't have some, you can't buy, you know, this microphone. It's an expensive microphone. If I didn't have any money, I would be using a Blue Yeti or something. And there's nothing wrong with a Blue Yeti. I just like this one. But if I didn't have the money, I wouldn't buy that. That doesn't mean anything about me. It means that I chose to accumulate some. I've owned a recording studio forever. I'm a microphone snob, so I buy an expensive one. That has nothing to do with the value of me. So solving your money story starts with understanding what it is. I have several steps and that I'm sure Robert mirrors in his coaching. But one, you have to understand what money is and what it isn't. The second thing is you need to... You need to be honest with yourself, and I find this is helpful with in, in coaching, but what do you believe about money? Like, what do you actually believe about it? And this sometimes takes layers because you might as a coach say, well, you know, and say all the right things, but you find yourself feeling scarce. You find yourself worried, you find yourself afraid, you have a physical reaction in your stomach or, or wherever it shows up for you in your body. When you think about money and you look about bills and how much of the month is left and what your pipeline looks like and all of those things. And if in looking at those things, you create a physical response of fear, which is just a set of neurotransmitters, but if then you have a money story that's not helping you. Like you don't feel things in your body unless you believe a thought. So you believe a thought like, I don't have enough, I can't get it, I'm not worthy, I can't do this well enough, I'm unlucky, whatever the pile of thoughts is. And the minute you believe those thoughts, your body produces the neurotransmitters associated with that belief. That causes the upset stomach, the tight throat, shoulders, whatever, however that manifests in your body. So if you want to change this money story, the first thing you have to do, I wrote one of the books I wrote is called um, The Results Equation. I'll show it maybe later, but The Results Equation is five steps from dream to done in five steps. So let's pretend where you are right now is I have a sucky money story. I'm afraid of it. I can't make enough and all the rest of the drivel. And over here is I have a healthy money story. I know how to create it when I need to. I can create all I want. And if I really want to focus on it, I could create a lot. Okay. So that would be where I am with my money story and where I'm going. Step one of the results equation is up. Understand the present. Okay. And to do that, the first step is where am I right now? That would mean what's really in my bank balance, what's really in my pipeline, what are my real prospects? And this conversation, if you learn to, can be had without drama. This is just the truth. This is where I'm not, but this is where I am right now. Okay. I'm here. I have this. I have this. I have this. Question number two is okay. This is where I am, no drama, no blame, no harm, no foul. And you can tell by how you feel when you answer that question. If you feel bad, then you're believing garbage. 
if you can just make that list and say, okay, this is where I am. Like I'm standing on the corner of Winslow, Arizona. Okay. I'm standing on the corner and this is where I am with these things. Question number two in understanding the present is how did I get here? And again, this is not, oh, I failed this negative step. It's just how did I get here? Well, I'll give you an example that's easy to understand. In my late 30s, I was nearly 100 pounds overweight. I got, and if I ask that question, the truth is I'm, I'm 90 pounds overweight. Wow, that's the truth. How did I get here? Well, I don't exercise. My favorite snack is cheese spread with Miracle Whip, and that's not very healthy. Uh, I don't this, and I don't do that, and I don't make time for these things. That's, you know, that's how I got here. Now, if I, if I load that up with a bunch of bad, you're bad because you're here, you make it harder to move. That's like gluing the reasons to the floor and they get harder to move. How did I get here? Well, I got here because of this and you make the list and this might iterate a few times. Then the next question is, okay, this is where I am with my money story. I believe these things. How did I get here? And I only have this much. And I'm having this conversation because I know I have a money story and I want more than I've got. And I want to produce it easier than I produce it. Question number three is why am I not moving? Like, or if I am moving, why am I not moving fast enough? Like, like why, why am I here and still here? What's the trajectory? If I'm on a flat trajectory, I'm not moving fast enough, or it's like this and I want that. Like, why? And so this is where, um, and I'm doing this quickly in the context of our, our, our space, but it's, it, you have to take that apart. Why, why am I not moving? I'm not taking actions that would fill my pipeline. I'm taking them, but I do them reluctantly and last and in a hurry. I procrastinate and then pretend I don't have time. I take a lot of preparatory actions that aren't real producing actions. I'll give you a funny example. Robert, I'm just going on a monologue. Is this okay? This is perfect. Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. So in the studio, I own a recording studio and I've been a musician forever and played the piano since I was five, started teaching when I was 17. I've been in a group that charted number one on Billboard, so like a real live musician. But I haven't done much solo singing. And so I have a story about that. I have a story that maybe it's not as good. Maybe nobody will like it. Maybe this, that, and the other. So that story keeps me from doing things to produce and finish music. Now, when I wrote Tightrope of Depression, I wanted not only to get the bestseller, which I got, but I wanted to do something different. So I wrote an album of music, 11 songs that told stories from that book. And it took me uh, two years longer to get that album done than I could have done because I've run a studio for 40 years. I messed around because when I would get ready to go in the studio, well, are, is all my software up to date? Are there plug-in updates? What is this? What is that? And I would do all these preparatory things that kind of look like I'm working on music, except not because the story that I had of what if it's not good enough? What if it won't work? What if, what if, what if was getting in the way? And when I started to, when I realized that I had to go to work on that story. So why am I not moving? In that case, it was to finish the album. It was because I had this fear story about good enough. So if you say, why am I not trajectory creating the money I want? What are the actions you're either taking or not taking that would either accelerate or, or change the trajectory of your growth? 
And again, if you take this questioning with the drama angle, it's slow, hard, and you have all kinds of resistance. If you work either with yourself or with the coach, okay, the, this is the truth of why I'm not moving because I feel this, I think this, I make this up, I let, I let interruptions take too long, I screw around on social media too much, fill in the blank. And if you're telling the truth, you'll know the answers to these in three seconds. The key is to do it without drama. So there's a lot more to this, but those are the first three things. Where am I? How did I get here? And why am I not moving? Robert? Those are great things because yeah, I could uh, just answering the questions for myself and looking at it. It's like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's like you, you feel glued to the floor. Good analogy, right? <clears throat> you're not moving forward. It's like, what is it that's keeping you stuck in that place? Well, uh, for most people, I think it's a comfort. There's a comfort of, you know, the devil you know versus the one you don't. And you get stuck there and you go, well, I'm kind of used to living this way. I've kind of figured out how to do this and do that. And and anytime you say you're going to change something, people get freaked out because change. Oh, no, change, right? Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times ends up holding people back from being able to, to take those steps forward. And the other piece that is really critical here is no drama, right? So actually, there's two pieces. There's a drama piece, which is the emotional side of it. If you could, if you could take the logic out away from the emotion somehow and just sort of break that bond for a moment uh, and, and come clean about what's really happening and be honest, this is the other piece to it, is the honesty piece, is a lot of us are just lying to ourselves. They're like, well, you know, I'm not good enough, or I don't have enough time, or I don't have enough energy, I'm too old. I hear this all the time. I'm too old, I'm too old. Colonel Sanders started at 65, and look what he created. You know what I mean? He was, he was driving around in a, in a broken-down car. He had no money at 65, uh, and he created an empire, literally. So you hear all these excuses, and it's like they're not real. They're real to you. They feel real to you. But here's what a coach could step in and help you sort of break those. And this is why I said to coaches who are listening, it's so important to both understand and deal with your money story. And dealing with it doesn't mean you're rich. Dealing with it means you can laugh at it, you understand it, and it has become something you're working on. If we had to be perfect and done as coaches, we'd never coach. So that, that's just not required in order to make progress. So when you, when you start with this money story, why am I not moving? So let's just say uh, we have, you know, you know all kinds of things you could do. You could, and I don't mean things that are hope marketing, like throwing spaghetti on the wall. Well, I'll post 5,000 times a day on Instagram. I'm talking about actual intentional conversations. And one of the biggest things is lying to ourselves about what matters, what works, and what doesn't. So I have a, a cure for that. And the cure is to create and live into what I call the success cadence. And the success cadence is this. I said it. I did it. 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 Now, where that comes from, and it's silly, it's not silly, it's powerful and simple, but we lie to ourselves like breathing. And because we do that, we have become the person we trust least. And we camouflage that by pretending that as long as we keep our commitments to others, we are okay. That's backwards. If you want power to create any result you want, you need to first tell the truth to yourself. Now, if you've been a serial liar, like I had been, uh, 
and you make commitments to yourself all the time, whether it's for this week, this morning, what time you're getting up, a New Year's resolution, something big, something small, doesn't matter. If your habit is, yeah, I'm going to do, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, yeah, I know, and then you don't, and you don't really make it happen. Then you know you're a liar to yourself, and I'm not saying that pejoratively. We all do that until we don't, and this is how not to. If you set goals that you can't do, then shrink the damn goal. Make them small enough so that you can do. I said it. I did it. I said it. I did it. I don't care if it's 1%. Nathaniel Brandon, a renowned shrink that wrote a book, bunch of books on personal responsibility, would ask the question. If you would take 3%, and I even substitute 1%, if you took 1% more responsibility for your customer pipeline, if you're a coach today, just 1% more, what would you do? Well, at 1%, you could say, well, I'd make one more phone call. I'd send one more email invitation, 1%. Okay, then, then do that 1%. I said it, I did it. And then if I took 1% tomorrow, I mean, 1% isn't very big. If I took 1% more responsibility for my blood pressure or my sales pipeline, or my conversion conversations. If I just worked on that 1%, excuse me, you'll find really fast one adds up to hundred in three months. So we have the ability, especially those who do good coaching. Oh, I'm a good coach. Yeah. Okay. I'm not arguing with that. Then you understand the value of this success cadence. And when you adopt and learn, even if you shrink the goals tiny, I said it, I did it, I said it, I did it. And you make that the truth of your life. Then you're the person who knows if it comes out of your mouth, it happens. That is priceless power. Another way to look at that too, I would, I would say that's living in integrity. Right. That's that's integrity to yourself. I mean, we all do that with other people, but to ourselves, sometimes we're not doing that. Sometimes I, I would say most of the time, most people, most of the time. Here's how you know that <clears throat> I have a little joke. I tell it's not very funny, actually. When someone says to you, yeah, yeah, I'll come. You invite him somewhere. We're going to go do this. And someone says, yeah, what they really mean. If I remember, if I still feel like it. If I don't get a better offer, and if you don't piss me off between now and then, those are all implied. And you know that because if you don't show up or someone doesn't show up for you and you say, what happened? And they say, oh, this happened. And it's one of those things where we are automatically, oh, okay, that's supposed to be the answer. You may be mad. Oh, well, yeah, no, I understand. Oh, well, so-and-so came over and I had to do this. Oh, you know, I just, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot. All that thing is supposed to be okay. And that means, that just means we've lost the meaning of words of integrity in our language. And so, and you know that because as soon as somebody really wants you to believe them, or you really want somebody to believe you, you say, no, I swear. No, really, I promise. I swear. And you add all this crap on top of just, yes, I will. Because yes, I will means if I remember, if I still feel like it, if I don't get a better offer and if you don't piss me off. And that's what we actually mean in the context of our conversations with each other, unless we are one of the few people who've completely changed that and made a conscious decision that if it comes out of my mouth, it takes place or I'm dead. Yeah. 
And that right there teaches us we, we're not in integrity with ourselves. And we simply live that way thinking it's either too hard or, you know, everybody does it or whatever the story is. If you want to make a bunch of money, start there. Let every single word that comes out of your mouth be true. And if you have trouble with that, shrink the goal, shrink the promise until it becomes your cadence of life. I do something uh, very similar with, with my, I've been very careful about when I make uh, commitments to people <clears throat> and I really, you know, it's like, if it's sort of like, well, I'm not sure it's one of those maybe kind of things, I'll put it in the calendar and I'll actually give it a different color and I'll let them know I'm not certain about it. I'm going to be very clear up front about it. And uh, when it's, when it's important, I made the commitment, I'm going to show up there. It's in red. So when I look at my calendar, I know when something's in red, there's no changing that doesn't move. <clears throat> it has to happen unless I get sick or unless I'm in a car crash or something, but it's going to happen. And it's really, it is about conditioning. It took me a long time to get there, but it is about conditioning that, that muscle really to do that. It is. And here's the sad thing. <clears throat> and it's uh, this is going to sound harsh, but it's true. And that is the reason you don't keep your word to yourself or I don't is because you don't love yourself. Very true. Because if you, if you think about someone that you really care for outside of you, and if you tell them something and they're going to be really disappointed or hurt if you don't, you bust your ass to do it. And you do it because you don't want that feeling of failing, disappointing, or whatever it is. But you don't care for yourself, value yourself, love yourself enough to realize that the only word or the word that matters most of all is the word to yourself. True. Very true. So we're going to, we're talking about money. If you don't have enough, I promise if we had a conversation, we can identify at least half a dozen things that you're doing every day that sabotage, delay, or slow down the accumulation of whatever wealth goal you have. We could also figure out several things right now that are within your grasp and immediate action that you can take to do those. They're not generic, they're specific to you. And if I tried to make them generic, they would sound generic, yeah, 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 whatever. But whatever your business, I mean, you create value some way, somebody gives you some of those tokens, electrons or whatever they are, because you create value, whether you're a coach or whether you make widgets or whether you sell kitty scarves. We have some cats and Joy just bought a scarf that some lady made for her own cat. And then it was on some social media and somebody said, I want one. And so she got a business now making cute little scarves for kitties. So that's a value because people like to splurge on their animals and, you know, pay this and that to have whatever it is, right? Sunglasses for dogs and kitty scarves and whatever. So you create value some way right now. And there are only three things that determine Easily, if, you're, if you can have all the money you want from the business you have. Question number one, is there money moving in that vertical? And what I mean by that is somebody paying someone something somewhere for what you do. Is there is a lot of money moving in that river? If the And that's not difficult to find out. If the answer is yes, then okay, there's enough money. Number two, what is your superpower like why in someone that's moving money in that river why would they give it to you instead of someone else that's moving where the money's moving in that vertical 
Uh, you may know that and you may not know it. You may have a vague answer like, well, I'm really good at something. And if you, if you can't really clearly identify it, then it's going to be hard for someone to make the choice to give you that money. Think of it as a river going. And, you know, in those old irrigation days, um, I, I uh, visited my uncle's dairy farm a lot and they had this. The water would run uh, through the farm. And when they wanted to water a certain part of the pasture, they'd put a little irrigation gate and open it. In some cases, they'd put those movable dams that are maybe four or five feet wide on some wood. And then, you know, turn the, I called it turning the water. So they'd turn it into this irrigation ditch or that irrigation ditch. So if you've got a river of money moving in that vertical, in the area that you provide value, and you're not getting it, then your, your dam, your, your gate isn't open. And the way it gets open is you have to know what you do, like really well, like what do you actually do? So let's say you know you're, you know there's money moving in the vertical and you know you have a superpower. You do something better than anybody else. You really can identify it clearly bulletproof. And if, you, I, if I heard you say it, I'd go, dang, I get that. Okay, cool. Then the only reason you don't have all the money you want is because people do not know that. People that are spent or that river of money, they don't know about your superpower. It, this is not complicated. If there's money in the vertical, you have a superpower and people know about this, then they will spend money with you that want that superpower. And how you do each of those things exactly, how you identify your superpower, how you describe it, and how you allow people to know about it, you know, social media, marketing, speaking, writing books, there's a hundred ways to do that. But those are the only steps that need to happen. Like if there's no money in the vertical, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time. If you don't have a superpower, then you're going to commodity pricing, which means it's just like gas on the corner. You go to the cheapest station. If you have a superpower and somehow your gas is better than somebody else's gas, gasoline or whatever you're powering your car with, then there's a reason to buy yours. And then beyond that, people who are using, spending the money in that vertical, they've got to know about your superpower. And so that's it. If you want that money, and if you're going to take apart why you're not making money, it has to do with those three things. Most of the time, people are not busy trying to make money where there's no vertical. So where it really comes down to is I either don't know my superpower, I can't talk about it because I feel weird and I get energetic nonsense when I make that choice to talk, or the way I let people know about it is squirmy, weird, uncertain, and it does it. it gives them poison. So I'm telling them about my superpower. But there's a poison pill in there because I'm either lacking confidence. I lack some credibility. Uh, I haven't figured out how to, you know, all of those things, but it isn't because there's not money moving because there is, if you're in a vertical where it's moving, does that make sense, Robert? It does. And then, you know, the other thing that came up uh, as you're talking there is most people don't know what their superpower is <clears throat> and they think about what they do best and they give it away because it comes natural. It comes easy for them. Like coaching for me just came easy. It was one of those things like I, I'm a great listener. I got it. A little bit of training, more training, more training. And coaching became easy for me. It became uh, and, it, and at first it was like, hey, you know, you should be charging for that. I coach over 2000 people and we're just on commission based only. Uh, you know, before I realized, you know what, I could probably make money if I charge for the coaching because the coaching was getting better and better. And I think a lot of people are like that. It comes easy to me, so therefore I, I shouldn't be charging for it because it's just easy. I can do it in two minutes for you. So that means if I have a green thumb and I grow a better garden than everybody else, I should give away my vegetables away? 
Yeah, that's that's what a lot of people end up thinking, or, or they don't recognize that that is value because it's like, yeah, I planted the tree a few years ago, and it's got a thousand oranges. I'm just going to give them away. Okay. Okay. You know what? You're allowed to do that. You're completely allowed to live and give away everything that you're good at out of the love and goodness of your heart. You're absolutely allowed to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. The struggle comes when if if because your love drives you to do that, you can't eat or you can't support those that are depending on you. Because all of the rest of the people that are having their superpower, they, they're not giving it away. Or if they do, it's in a trade where we ultra meet at the corner and I'll give you oranges and you give me corn. Okay, then, then we're trading our superpowers. And the days of barter as the main way we do things are gone. Some people still trade this for that. Um, it, my experience, and I've done a lot of trades in my years, Robert, I'm sure you have too, oh, yeah. is it that, that it hasn't worked out very well, mostly because I probably didn't do due diligence about someone's motivation and the value of what I was doing. I, I did it. I did it because uh, for dumb reasons, I didn't do it because there was a real strong reason on both sides. I did it because uh, I wanted a client or I wanted to feel, you know, I wanted something and it skewed my vision of it. So I'm not saying bartering's wrong. We did it for thousands of years. What I'm saying is the idea that charging for your superpower is wrong is a belief system that you can have. It won't serve you to create a reservoir of electrons that you can trade for a house or a car it just won't. And so you don't have to make this a spiritual quest. If you want to give anything away, you can. If you do that, the unavoidable consequence is that you fail to accumulate a reservoir of electrons. And the car dealership probably isn't going to take the glow of your heart as a down payment for the car. So the, uh, it has nothing to do with right or wrong in the first instance. You're free to give anything away you want. Do it. Just recognize that the consequence is that you won't have the reservoir to do the other things you need in life where the glow of your heart doesn't buy it. The other reason people trade is because somehow they think uh, they get worthiness, worth, and all this other nonsense tied up in there. Well, I'm not worth that, and I really shouldn't do this, and a bunch of shoulds and shouldn'ts. That comes from a corrupt money story that if I have a big pile of electrons, I'm somehow evil or bad or, oh, those poor people, I should give it away. You know what? If you want to give stuff away, give it away. But there's nothing wrong with charging. And what I have discovered, my greatest impact as a coach comes when I charge the most. Yep, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. You know, I think in, in coaching, Kellen, a lot of the, the training has been about, you know, you want to give it away, you want to give it away, you want to give it away. And we've all come through that that those training systems where – we're just giving our, our time, we're giving our effort, we're giving it all away, and that's looked upon as being a good thing. And then you have these coaches that'll do a million, two million, five million a year, and it's like those guys are looked at, oh, what's wrong with those people? Why are they charging so much? But, you know, the truth is, like you said, it's like in my experience, the same thing. The higher you charge, the higher the price, 
the better those clients do, the more skin they have in the game. And they really listen. They really pay attention. They take, take action. They're compliant. They get results. Sometimes people ask me when I quote them a fee for the year of coaching, and I don't work less than six months, and usually it's a year. Okay, well, it's this much for a year. Why do you charge that much? My answer is really simple. I don't need your money because when you put that in, I have your attention. Yep, absolutely right. It's not complicated. I have your attention because the way we measure commitment right now is how much of your electron stash are you willing to give me? That's what measures your commitment. Because when you give me a big pile of your electron stash, then I know I have your attention. People show up to calls, they take action, they do stuff, and lo and behold, their garden grows. We're talking coaches. You got 16 books. Which book do you recommend coaches start with, with your library? <clears throat> Well, it's hard to answer. So uh, I wrote my story about depression, struggling 35 years with untreated, undiagnosed depression that wrecked my life, wrecked three marriages and caused me to have long bouts of addiction and rehab and this and that and the other. That all changed in 2007, now 14, going on 15 years ago, gratefully, through divine intervention. I wasn't smart enough to do it on my own. So if you're struggling with uh, changing your habits, sort of getting really and you feel unworthy and you're struggling with that level of thing, then tightrope would be the place to start. If you've got that mastered and you've been through your own hero's journey and you're on the other side, but you're having trouble with the beliefs that you have lived into or that you've allowed to control your life, then the book of context is a book uh, about what context is, and I define context, and I'll tell you a little story about how that came to be in a minute. But the book of context talks about how to change your worst, terrible, awful beliefs, the ones that are holding you back, slowing you down, beating you into the ground, keeping you chained where you are. And I, I call it a context straitjacket. Your context is defined as your B-deep and that's an acronym that stands for your beliefs, your definitions, your experiences, your expectations, and your perceptions. If you roll that all together, it's your B-deep. Your B-deep is your context straitjacket. If you don't like the things you believe and expect and perceive and all that stuff, then there is a way to change that, no matter how long you've held them. I wrote it in the book of context. And that didn't come from me. The book of context came as part of a near-death experience I had in 2018 when I died in the University of Alberta Hospital. I contracted a fatal illness that the doctor told me after I, I was in a coma for two and a half weeks. And during that time, my heart stopped and I had three conversations with God at the door between life and eternity. And I wrote a book, Meeting God at the Door, Conversations, Choices and Commitments of a Near-Death Experience. In the second of those three conversations, this topic of our, our gifts and talents and what we're supposed to do and all that stuff came up. And it was clear, four things were clear from that conversation. One was, we're all divine beings. Number two, we're all given gifts and talents. Number three, we all have a mission and purpose that we not only agreed to, but we were excited about before we came here. And the fourth thing is that all the help we need is available from both sides of that door. And I say door because they took place at a doorway where I was on one side and God was on the other. Anyway, so with those truths in mind, I asked the question, well, since that's true, why do we settle for crumbs? And 
uh, I don't know if in the economy of heaven, brevity is a virtue, but the answer was four words, because you don't believe. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, okay, duh. I didn't say duh, but I felt like that. Duh. Okay. What do I, what can I do about that? Oh, glad you asked. And so what came after that was the entire framework that I wrote into the companion book to meeting God at the door called the book of context. And it was funny because after I wrote that book, I had a friend who was a retired physician in Baltimore who wrote the foreword and he, he loved it. He read it, loved it. And he'd, he'd been a client for many years. And then he tried to convince me to change the name. He said, you know, if you'd written the book of joy or the book of love or something, we'd understand it, but the book of context, and I waited, spent half an hour trying to explain to me why it needed to change. And when he got all done, I just laughed. And I looked at him and I said, Mark, the name's not negotiable. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is what it is. And then he realized what it meant and what, where it came from. And all of a sudden he goes, okay, I get it. So if you want to change any beliefs, the book of context and the companion beside that if you're paralyzed is one that I wrote a few months later called walking without fear. And this came from a talk that I gave about four or five months after I got out of the hospital in October of 2018 and recovered. <clears throat> when I recovered from that, the infectious disease specialist that was ahead of the team said to me that the 10 day mortality rate for the bug that I had, I had a super bug in both my lungs and in my bloodstream. He said, the 10 day kill rate or mortality rate for the bug you had is 100%. So I died, duh. Okay, it kills people. And so anyway, six months later, some other stuff happened. But in between, I spoke at a conference. And in October, after I'd gotten out in July and um, learned to walk again and everything else. During the coma, I lost 35 pounds. I couldn't walk, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I went to speak at a conference and I talked about the near-death experience and what had happened, what I learned in Book of Context and everything. And some a lady in, during Q&A said, <clears throat> so typical question, what's the biggest thing changed for you, you know, that's happened because of that? And I hadn't really prepared for Q&A. So I was thinking for a second while I was thinking, I heard my mouth open and say, I no longer experience fear. And um, that was quite a controversy and discussion. And later, like four or five months later, it spawned this book, Walking Without Fear, because I, it's something I, I don't, I don't feel, I don't experience that emotion anymore. But that would be, I, that's probably a longer answer, but depending on where you're at, uh, you know, those would be some suggestions. Awesome. <clears throat> Love that. Thank you so much for the, the stories, too, to go along with the book. I think that's, that's fantastic. The book, if you're thinking about writing a book, is called The Story Arc, right? That's the one that uh, would be really great for authors or anyone creating online courses. I know that's a, that's a big one. Well, after I wrote a whole bunch of books, I realized I created a system for myself that allowed me, and these are not like fiction. This is, if you're trying to use your story to help people, like this, is, I created a system for me because I had a lot of stuff to say and a lot of stories. I thought, how can I do this? So I created something for me and wrote a lot. And then I started running workshops using a certain set of principles. After I ran about 20 of those workshops, I thought I should write this book. So I wrote the book about writing books or creating courses or whatever called the story arc. The subtitle is practical and persuasive magic for speakers, authors, and storytellers. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Kellen. This has been a lot of fun today. And uh, do you have uh, you want to send anybody to any special website? I know you've got some challenges coming up that look like a lot of fun. So on February 14th, which is just this coming Monday, Monday, yeah. uh, I've got a challenge, five-day challenge called Love Them, Coach Them, Sign Them. And the whole focus of that is for coaches who hate the money conversation, who feel like they coach well, they know they add good to the world, and every time they get ready to do the money, they have that energetic collapse, it gets weird, you know, people negotiate prices, they rag about their, your cost, all of that stuff, that's all unnecessary. Unnecessary. And I say that not from a place of never having experienced it. Now, I was a big dog executive, yo, whatever. When I left that world in 2007 and I thought about what to do and decided I would be a coach and I first started trying to sell coaching, I was terrified because all my executive career, I was doing that thing over there. Well, I'm really good about that thing over there. But when I'm start talking about, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. That's a whole different universe. So all those energetic collapses and gross feelings and everything else. I even had a client once I talked him into buying a $5,000 package and it felt so yucky and he gave me a credit card, put a down payment. Debt. The next day I called him back and gave him some money back and I lost him as a client because I knew that the conversation was gross and that I felt some resistance from him. And I took his card and did the thing anyway, because I needed I didn't need anything, but I had a story about needing. So I've come from that place to where enrolling clients is like breathing and there's nothing squirmy about it at all. And so because I love coaches, because you're trying to add good to the world and, and bleed from your heart, I call coaching the people encouragement business. I sometimes call it the heart refurbishment business or the anxiety annihilation business. And I have a bunch of other cute names that I use for it. But anyway, you're doing a good service. You deserve to get paid. You need to get paid. Your clients will get better results when you get paid. So if you want to be better as a coach, get paid. And so Love Them, Coach Them, Sign Them is about how to do that and how to do it authentically, fun, and how to know when to have it, the conversation, and how to do it in a really authentic, true, good, powerful, all the right words you want to fill in the blank there way. And that starts Monday. And the website is Love coach sign um em love coach sign um.com awesome i think you're gonna do really well with that i know you've done it a couple of times before and you had great success with it i'm looking forward to seeing what you can create and i will put it in the comments on, on in these videos as well and post it out with the with the podcast make sure we get the, enough people enrolled there because uh Value is value. You do, you deliver a tremendous amount of value. Grateful to have you here, Kellen. Really loved having you here. Thank you so much for taking the time spending with us today. And hopefully we'll be able to do this again real soon. Robert, I want to end this honoring you and returning the focus to you, the effort that you've put gathering a community of coaches, the wisdom that you impart to them, the support and the love that you pour into the world, helping people understand their value the need that we have for this. I just honor your work. I love your tech stuff too, because you're cool, because that's your hobby. But I really honor the work and the love that you put into this by adding good to the world. So thank you. You're making me blush, my friend. Thank you as well. Love you too. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you again next week with another edition of Coach's Corner.